Welcome to the worst nightmare of all. Reality. Explore the lesser-known stories of our unknown world. Join the pursuit of the paranormal with Ash and Greg. Good evening, Greg. How are you? I'm good, thanks, Ash. How are you doing? I'm very good. Looking forward to this week's episode. This is something that an interview that I've been trying to get for over a year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, just one reason or another, we're not been able to quite get it to work, but we have now. Uh, and it's just, it's the it's based around the book that was released last year, and an experience is our our guest tonight, and it's absolutely. I mean, it's quite hard to describe how the experiences is. I'm not going to try to. You'll probably best get it from the man himself. But it's prepared to be a bit amazed by what we're going to talk about uh, this evening. So welcome, Joe LaRosa and Mike Puzzle Umno. Umni, how are you guys doing? All right, fine, my friends. I'll ignore that. <laughs> <laughs> It's good to uh, finally get to, you know, face-to-face uh, after 12 months or so. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So we're going to be talking about your book, which is the Chronicles of Mionia. Oh, Mionia. Mionia. Sorry, I literally asked. Oh, we're only... To pronounce we're, it well. we're about a minute in. And that's two mistakes yeah. in about a minute, Ash. It doesn't bode well. If you haven't come across that word before, it can be a bit uh, difficult. Well, not difficult, but you know, depending on which part of the country you come from as well. Yeah, okay, that's another way of saying it. Let's go, yeah. with, uh, let's go with that. <laughs> um, so, the Chronicles of Mionia. Me and I, me and I. Forget that, Ash. Don't worry about it. The Chronicles of Me and I. There we go. Yeah. Uh, so first off, before we sort of go into the book and your your basically your life story, basically, uh, what this book delves into, just want to introduce us just who who are you and how this whole thing came about. Well, I was born in Italy, and I came over with my parents when I was about four and a half years old. And when I was about five, I started having some rather strange experiences, which at the time, obviously being a young kid, you wouldn't understand. And basically, I was having out-of-the-body experiences, but not understanding what the hell they were and what was going on. And uh, and it started with this powerful feeling, this vibration that manifested in my head, in my forehead, and just flowed straight through my body. And I would start turning it, it's, you know, inside my body. And then I started moving out, and I thought, what the hell is going on, even at that age? And I decided, no, no, I don't want this. It was frightening me, because obviously I had no understanding of of what was transpiring. And so it was something that kept on manifesting itself for for a certain amount of time. But I stopped the vibrations from from manifesting, actually. I slowed them down. And gradually, over a period of time, to about 15, something like that, and it just kept on basically um well not dying but you know the the slowed down and so when i left school at 15 i decided that i needed to find out exactly what this uh this event was that happened when i was younger and i went through the bible and all that type of stuff you know but there's nothing there 
And eventually I discovered astral projection as one of what they call the cities in the Eastern religion. And basically what a city is, is, is a, the power that really everybody, every human being has, has got within themselves. But you just need to follow the correct path to achieve these uh, manifestations, including telepathy, that sort of thing. And so I continued reading and over a period of time, probably right up to about till I was about 22, something like that, uh, I, I started to uh, experience different levels of awareness through meditation. And one particular night, um, I had this massive event where my green, my third eye opened, and it was basically the color green. And then that particular night, I actually astral projected correctly, properly, and I was floating um, at the top corner of the ceiling, looking down on my physical body in bed, and it was quite quite an odd experience that was. And since then, I've had quite a number of, of different. Uh, uh, different manifestations. But moving on through the year before I came involved with me and I, um, a friend of mine who was uh, a reporter in the center, which, which is in the book, wanted me to come over and meet some people who uh, he'd come across regarding uh, this really strange story of paranormal phenomena. So he took me over to uh, uh, this gentleman's house and began to describe to me some of the things that were going on. And I knew straight away there was something phenomenal happening and I wanted to be a part of it. So a few days later, I rung them up and they told me to come over and uh, they allowed me to become a member of this group, the, the me and I group. And it was then that my whole world, I mean, my whole world had changed when I was young with the astral projection. Um, but as time went on, I became involved in, in stuff that I... You know, you can't explain scientifically. Um, we were opening dimensional doorways, retrieving objects that have been placed beyond time and space. And when a dimensional doorway opens, you get this incredible high-powered, almost like a dynamo electrical noise occurring. A phenomenal sound. Uh, and like I said, there's, there's so many things that happened. Um, we were involved with um, tuning into um, entities, such as Pan, uh, you know, the, the nature is basically a god, it's Hermes as well. Um, things like that were occurring. Um, but basically, for, for me, the most powerful events were when we opened the dimensional doorways. You say so, that they made a noise when you opened a dimensional yes, doorway. Yeah. What, what kind of sound was it? Was it like a dynamo, like a high-pitched dynamo, electrical dynamo. Mm. And I've in some of the investigation I've done and spoken to other people, they actually hear this also at, uh, at certain um, stone circles. Okay. You know, um, again, I think the stone circles were built over uh, over uh, centres of high energy on the ley lines. And my own personal opinion is that the circles were used for other things than just um, religious um just uh, places just for me for religious grounds, uh, for uh, various um, like people like the Druids and the Celtic, you know, the people from uh, the Celtic people. So there's a lot more going on than most people realize. Definitely. Um, so before we kind of go into some of your experiences, 
was there any sort of family history that your parents that you know of have any that this happened to them well have you told them about what was happening to you when you were younger yeah i did try but no the, as far as i'm aware the, there's no history of it uh, in the family and unfortunately we've been in italy as well i'm sorry we've been in england uh there's no way i could ask the family who is still extant in italy um because at that time there's no there's no way communicating i'm, I'm talking about uh, the, the 60s yeah. and 70s when nobody had a nobody had a phone often to no mobiles and the first time i did go to Italy was 67 and i think when i was about 17 at the time but uh, obviously uh, i wasn't um, I hadn't experienced that much, so uh, it was something that I wasn't really able to discuss with people uh, in Italy anyway. What about when it comes to your your children? And that, have they had any experiences or you, how do they sort of feel about it well, when you told them? Yeah, I, I think my children have picked up certain of uh, my DNA, for want of a better word. And yeah, they have had experiences. Um, both, both my, I've got two daughters, and both my eldest and my youngest have had um, certain experiences. Cool. So, talk about your book. So, you very kindly sent me a copy of the book last mm -hmm. year. Like saying, I read it. I literally, just once started reading it, and um, kind of read it all the way through. I didn't put it down till I'd finished. Six hours was blown away by what was what was what I was reading really. And like to be honest, when I first started reading it. I mean, you, you do kind of have to suspend belief for a bit with the topics that are covered in here and sort of what you guys went through. It's just beyond anything I'd ever read or even heard of before. And I was, when you first start reading it, you just think, this cannot be real. This, this yeah, like, there's just nothing. Like, I, I thought I was reading a Dan Brown book at first because you've got a lot of parallels with what gets discussed in uh, in, in his books. Yeah, but then when he carry on reading it, and like there's pictures, there's there is evidence in, in the book. Um so I was just absolutely blown away. So first of all, well done on the book. It's really well put together. Uh, it tells the story very, very neatly. Yeah, I appreciate um, that. Yeah, no problem. And so gonna give us a sort of bit of an overview of what um I guess what the so the order of me and here. Yeah. Did I get that right? Me and I. Me and I. Thought I had it. Um, so it's around the, the order of the me and I, which is the, this group of people uh, carrying out, I guess you call it quests, is a way of a way of looking at it. Can you kind of just, uh, tell us what the purpose of this group was and what your, why you were all together and what you were trying to do? Well, originally, the I first met the group They'd uh, um, they found a green stone uh, in a casket by the uh, by the River Avon, and I came along. I think this was about 1979 when they found the green stone, and so I came along in the end of '81 and caught and obviously got involved with the the other things. But gradually, I began to piece together, or they tell me a few a few snippets of things of information, and it appears that. The Mianaya saga has been going on for thousands of years. And if if you read the if you get yourself a copy of the Green Stone, 
it does tell you about the, the, there was a, a population of, of megalithic builders in England who, from the information that they had psychically, had decided to move from England because there's a lot of negativity going on. And you're talking probably about, I don't know, four or 5,000 years ago, something like that. And they travelled across Europe and eventually ended up in Egypt, where they imparted their knowledge to, uh, to the priesthood there and also to the pharaohs and Akhenaten, was involved from from the information that he had in producing the green stone and imbuing it with his power. So oh, yeah. this 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 uh, me and I thing goes back a long, long way. How does it feel that you were part of this? Obviously, this has been going on a long time. Uh, not many people are aware of it. So how does it sort of make? you feel that you were a part of this incredible story, this journey? Uh, well, 12 months prior to my meeting, uh, Graeme Phillips and Teddy Shotton, who, who were two of the people involved, uh, two of the main, uh, two main people, I'd had a strong feeling that I was going to be involved in something. There was something in front of me, but this feeling was so strong I didn't know what it was, uh, but I knew it was it was out there in front of me. And when I met Terry, and then later I met Graham, Graham, Graham Phillips. He, he's like the medium of the group, as you probably have read, read. And he's written quite a few other books as well. That I knew that there was something phenomenal going on, especially with, with the things that just you know with with the green stone, the discovery of the green stone, and some of the things that are recurring. And to me, it it read like a uh, it sounded like a fantasy, but I knew it wasn't. You know, uh, they were speaking about um, the green stone, about the green stone being being the grail. And but I'd already heard about the grail being a green stone, not the cup. There's a uh, there's a, a German troubadour in the 12th century wrote a book called Parsifal, which I'd come across and read way, way before they'd ever met the group. And he said that the grail was not a cup, basically. He says it is a green stone. It's a green gem. That is the grail. And there's because there's a lot of a lot of uh, discrepancies in what people believe the, the grail to be. And this this is one of the things that I, I, I realized that the green stone the me and I stone may purportedly be the grail that that's been taught, you know, been taught about through uh, you know, through history, and especially since uh, Wolfram Wolfram von Eskenbach, difficult to say his name, um, stated that the grail was uh, was the green stone. It's because he was also an alchemist, and there was a lot of uh, there's a lot of things uh, that he wrote in his book. Uh, and well, sorry, they were poems at the time that jarred with uh, with what I knew, you see. And obviously, with with the, the writing of the Green Stone, um, that sort of kickstarted everything off in this time period, because it's been going, as I said, it's been going on for quite a long time, uh, a thousand years really. So, just taking it back a, a, just a little step. Um... Where you, you mentioned about you astral projecting when you were 
were young how how does your how does your brain cope um with this kind of um insanely different view of reality that you almost instantly get the first time that happens because obviously that's not a typical thing that happens to to a child or an adult really so how do, how does your brain process or what was your thinking around that well at the time um i couldn't really tell you what what was going on through my head as far as you know the, the thing just i knew that something was occurring and it never happened to me before and first of all i was i won't say the word was fascinated but i was intrigued by this feeling that i was had where this thing was happening in my head this well i i know you know to be an energy and it was just flowing through my body and as it flowed the faster it got the more intense this feeling feeling became and then i began to turn inside my body like that and you can feel this the thing that you call the eye the self the ego whatever it is turns with you okay so at one time i ended up with uh, the feeling of self at the bottom of my feet. I completely turned inside my body like that. And then I began to move out. And I thought, oh, oh, what's this? What's this? What's this? And I became frightened. And I stopped it from occurring. And I ended up being back, you know, as I as I normally was, you know, uh, with, with the feeling of self inside my head. And uh, I, was still, I was awake then. I wasn't asleep. Nowadays, sometimes with, with me, it happens when when I'm asleep, but I wake up in an altered state of awareness. Which, unless you've had that, it's difficult to explain. Your body's asleep, but you were awake. Okay. And over a period of time, as um, as I got older, the uh, the intensity of the uh, astral projection changes somewhat. Uh, and as much as the vibrations don't occur as often. Um, but what happens when you do project this feeling of self the ego goes with you right because they say that there's several different bodies that you that that you actually have not just the physical not just what they call the dream body or astral body is also the energy body as well there's several bodies so the esoteric law goes you know and um, but i realized uh, one time that when i projected I, uh, I could feel this feeling of self, this ego that which goes with it, and I realized that what was actually happening is that this reality that that we have, that we experience, isn't really the reality what we believe it to be, because I sh I should not have this feeling of self outside of my body. Okay, but there was me lying in bed on quite a number of cases next to my wife. But I wasn't there. I was up there, you know. Um, so, and it's, it's quite an odd, odd sensation. Did you get like a feeling that it was going to happen? So did you you sense like a, at some point it was going to you were going to astral project, or was it something you were able to start controlling as you got older? How how did that work? So I, I find the whole astral projection thing fascinating, yeah. and it's something I've always wanted to try. Yeah, but I think it varies for different people. With, with me, it still started with this vibration, this, this feeling. Mm. Once as strong as it when I was younger, uh, maybe changed slightly. I, I don't know, um, but it always starts with this 
feeling this vibrational frequency, but I'm in an altered state of awareness, which means that my physical body is still asleep. But I, this ego, ego feeling, is awake. And the, the astral, I'm sorry, the uh, altered state is something different to what you perceive when, when you're in your physical body. That's the only way I, I can explain it. Oh. It's different. It's a different state of awareness to how you are when you're in your physical body. So did you, were you able to control where you went? Or are you able to control where you go, should I say? Um, you can do. Um, but one time, what I asked, what, what I said is that, well, let it be as it should be, but not as I make it. Because when you're out there, especially if you're on the astral plane, mm. you can create what you want. And what I wanted to do is something's supposed, they're trying to tell me something, for me and I a lot. I want it to happen without my interference. I want them to take me or whatever it is, this energy power, whatever it is out there, to take me or do what it needed to do. So I said, let it be as it should be and not as I make it. And I, I like that. as soon as I thought that, I was, I was flying through the air like an, at an incredible speed. And uh, I ended up going through um, what looked like a, a castle, like through a tower. And I, I won't go tell you too much about it because then it goes into the more the mystical side of stuff, you know. Uh, and I'm not that great at explaining things, anyway, as you can tell. Um, so to go into to go even deeper, um, I prefer to go full face to face, really, you know. But like, but uh, but anyway, yeah, it uh, it is it is an odd experience. And if anybody wants to try and do it, I, I wouldn't stop them because it is an incredible experience to to uh, to have. And then you might get some understanding. I get so I get the impression that with astral astral projection, a certain or the experience that you're describing is almost sounds similar to when people take ayahuasca or psilocybin and have a connection with these entities in yeah. essentially a different reality and I, I get the impression from what you what you discussed there that that's the a, a very similar kind of way that the the shamans and that when they use ayahuasca um a lot that that's the kind of projection they have of themselves they understand everything at that point yeah. they understand what everything is what you are and that people have kind of, it's almost like a life-affirming experience. Did, mm. did you get a, like a life-affirming experience when you oh, projected? God, not off. Yeah. Not off. Basically, it tells you that what you believe this reality to be and what people tell you and what people experience is not as you believe it to be. It's not. It's not. Um, I, I, I discovered it's more pliable in, in, in the sense that you can use your mind if, if you reach these high states of awareness and to be able to control certain aspects of yourself the spiritual side that you can do things uh that people would not believe like, like i said to you before about the cities that uh, some of the yogis uh, possess and uh, in, have, have utilized um but yeah actual projection is probably one of the i would have one of the most easiest ones to uh, to achieve um but obviously, you have to set your mind to it, and uh, you know, practice really. That's what it's about. 
So moving back onto the book hmm. again right. and, and your journey. So you had or you had a lot of what we call battles, um, psychic battles at various, I'd say various places around the UK. Uh, these old buildings, these old religious buildings, famous ones that people will know. Uh, people will know these places that you went to on this journey. Can you just sort of explain what these these psychic battles were and how you experienced them? Because it's not something that if someone was stood nearby, they won't be able to see what was actually happening. Mm -hmm. Let's just explain sort of that whole how that whole thing worked. Well, probably um, the one that that was stood out the most for me is originally I'd only been with, been with a group for about I don't know six months or so, seven months, something like that. And we we were informed that we had to find this uh, the eye of fire, which is a, a, a red stone or well, we find out that it was orange, not red. And we ended up in the middle of the north of Broads on a boat, right, to uh, to go to a specific place where this uh, where the eye of fire had been hidden. Well, prior to that. To, to get more information regarding uh, the Eye of Fire, um, the group had gone to a place called Rantanabi, Rantanabi uh, just outside of Stafford. Unfortunately, that particular night, I couldn't be with them, uh, well, that day, that, that day, because I'd got something on. And so they went without me. Uh, there's about, I think about eight, 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 uh, eight of the group went. Uh, including Terry Shotton and, and Graham Phillips. Because they, they were told there was a bell hidden there in Ranton Abbey, but they didn't know where. It was, uh, when they got there, it was a derelict building. And so they searched around the, this place, um, and but they, they were told that they've got to get this bell before, uh, before, um, uh, night time because there was something in there there was a guardian had been placed on the bell itself because they needed the bell to to find uh or should say to invoke the uh, uh the knowledge of finding the uh, uh the eye of fire so they got there and went around and did a tour and you know did all manner of stuff trying to find this bell using psychic psychic information and and uh, um, a bit of clairvoyance there, and eventually it came up to a point where it was getting really dark, and then things started to happen there. There was this. Well, I think you've read you've read that part in the book, haven't you? On on the I, the the IFI bit, but there was these ghostly creatures of more something manifesting and walking down like bloody ghosts, or you know. Um, strange strange type of creatures and then they heard this strange noise and they believed that it was the uh, this thing called the guardian they'd awoken the guardian so eventually they found the bell they scarpered and went back to terry's house that's when i arrived later on about about 10 minutes later i think i arrived by uh, they, they got back from uh, uh from rantanabi with his, with this bell and they told me what, what had happened 
one of the group called Marion, she, she was psychic. She she had, had she'd had she confronted the guardian in this uh, in this building. And it appeared that she didn't know at the time, but she started feeling feeling a bit poorly. And it appeared that this this thing might have followed her home. Because one night she was feeling rather, rather poorly. And she was sitting in the lounge and she heard these footsteps upstairs. And they started walking down. There's nobody in the house bar from her. Walked down the stairs, along the landing, down the stairs, along the, the corridor to where the lounge door was. And then the door just flung open by itself. And there was this creature hovering in midair, right? Her doppelganger, her twin, it was her face on this creature, right? And she obviously, she was, fri she was frightened to death and she just passed out. <laughs> I, 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 don't know what, I don't know what I did on, you know? Um, so that, that was the first encounter. And with this thing called the Guardian. And when we were on the boat, this Guardian came back, but he came through Graham, uh, the uh, who'd gone into trance. And I knew the first, it was on the first night they were there, I knew this thing was coming through because Graham's breathing was different when he went into trance, his breathing was different then. And his eyes rolled back and they were just white. I thought, oh, you know, oh shit, this bloody, you know, I knew it was the Guardian. And all hell broke loose. All hell broke loose uh, that, that night uh, on the boat. There were six of us on the boat. Um, there's, there's three, one, two, four, four men and two ladies, uh, including myself. And like I say, all hell was broken loose. There, there was, oh. We managed to grab hold of Graham and Martin, one, one of the lads, it got, it got old to Graham like this, with, with his arm drained him. And we were saying that, we were trying to explain to the Guardian that we had been sent there by, by the person who'd hidden the the green, the green um, the red stone. Well, the person who should have found the stone in 99, sorry, the battle had died previously. Right? So we were sent to find it. And obviously we, we found it and, and tried, to, tried to do the job that we were meant to do. Um, but like I say, Martin had got, got hold of Graham like this and says, and we said, we heed, you know, we've been sent and said, we mean you no harm. And he's, Graham said, or the guard said, well, why is this, 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 you know, this being holding me so tight? He spun round, he touched, he touched, uh, um, Martin on the forehead and Martin shot back six foot and hit, hit the back of this boat and he was out completely gone, completely gone. And like I say, I was bloody fine because something happened to me on the boat as well. Um, I felt as if I'd been split in two, you know, as if my head, this, this dark, this darkness inside my head. And there was two of me, there was me, and then there's all of me, which was this darkness. It was, oh, I can't really explain it to you. Uh, all I say that it wasn't nice. It wasn't nice, and it lasted about two two weeks. And I thought I was, I was going over the top, you know. Honestly, I thought I, I was being driven into insanity uh, at the time. Um, so yeah, things happen, and uh, unless you're prepared to to withstand whatever's coming at you, 
you know, um, I'm not getting involved in any paranormal phenomena, you know, through paranormal phenomena, not ghosting. I'm not talking about ghosts and ghoulies. I'm talking about stuff like this, you know. I was going to say, because some of these these battles, let's call them, yeah. quite intense. And like say with kind of possession, like going in, taking over yeah. your bodies, and you end up fighting with each other effectively. Uh, so how did it kind of affect you? So after the fact, so say like you're back home, complete this part of the journey how does that affect you in your day-to-day life like both physically and mentally how do you go back to kind of living a normal life so to speak well be, be, before that I, I would tread what i would tread where angels feet to tread as, as, as the saying goes after that i was more wary because i knew that i didn't have the knowledge even though i thought i had at first but because i've done a lot of study on occultism and all sorts of different mm-hmm. stuff but I realized it was a completely different genre, you know, a completely different level, this was. Uh, and you certainly you don't mess with things like that. Um, so what he did, it, it basically it made me step back and think about what I was doing and realize that these things you don't you don't play with. You, you've got to be with a group that's protected, you know, Um because there were other entities coming through and obviously helping us along the way. In fact, the thing that got rid of um, that got rid of the of, uh, the uh, the guardian eventually, something came through Graham and ousted the thing out, out of Graham. And it's, it was called well, it was a being called Preston John. Now, I'd heard of Preston John in the past, and he's some he was some sort of high a high being for want of a better word. You know, and obviously got a lot of occult knowledge and a lot of spiritual knowledge. But he was the one that got rid of the the thing out of out of grain. Um, so I don't know what would have happened if he hadn't turned up. You know, but so yeah, he makes makes you makes you realize, a you don't know a lot, a that there's more to a reality that you ever thought he was, and you've got to be extremely extremely careful what you play about with. You know. And it certainly t- changed, uh, turned my idea of what reality actually was. And I knew that it, it certainly uh, is completely different from my understanding, uh, even with all the spiritual stuff that I, I've experienced as well, uh, you know, in, in, in the past. What's the points along this journey where you just thought, no, I can't do this anymore. I need to no. basically stop. No, no, because it's, to me, it was a learning curve um, because you'll never stop learning, especially with, 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 uh, with which I've told Mike as well. You never stop learning. You just expand your knowledge, but it's also to do with expanding what you are, not just as a human being, but as a spiritual being as well. And that is the true essence of it, is understand what you truly are. Because you're not this, you're not, you're not this physical matter. You're something far, far greater than that. And I think that's what the me and I thing uh, also taught me as well, you know, from the, the other aspects of beings coming in, the, the, the different entities. So you talked about the the, the eye of fire, you know, the, the green stone, which you believe to be the, the holy grail that has been obviously passed down for, for centuries and centuries, well, millennia. So what was the... But what was the end goal? What was the whole purpose of all this? Why, why, why is this all happening? Yeah, that that's that is the million dollar question. 
And that's what I spoke to Graham about uh, about a couple of months back uh, when we met up on one of his tours that he does on the odd occasion. And uh, my own personal feeling is that we didn't complete what we were, what we were supposed to have done. Maybe we weren't supposed to complete it. I don't, I don't know. Um, but I think, to all intents and purposes, it had something to do with what's happening now in the world, right? There's some real evil going on. And I'm, I'm my own personal opinion is that part and parcel of that, from other stuff that, that happened within the group and the information that we were given, it's all to do with this with this end, end, end time stuff um to do to do what's going on and even though we found a lot of stone you've heard of the tree of life the the Kabbalistic tree of life well we found all the stones that represents every sphere in that tree of life plus the grail plus the uh the, there was a grail that we discovered um made by a lady called or a Celtic queen called called Guavara. And uh, we think all these artifacts were something to do with what is happening now. Um, but unfortunately, the, the group splintered. So I don't think we actually achieved what we were meant to achieve. Whatever that was, I can only go by what I, I, what I think and some of the information that we received, you know, while I was with the group. Um, but certainly, I'm hoping there's another group out there who's doing something because we certainly need something from something more spiritual to occur to combat what's going on at the moment. That's what the next question was actually was is there someone carrying on yeah. your work that you know of or do you believe that yeah. someone else is carrying this on? We're all getting old. Some some have died, some have passed away. I mean I'm 73. Graham Graham I think is 68. Teddy Shotton has passed away. Um Marion's passed away uh who, who was uh, one of the Groups. Janth is, oh, Jane is, no, Jean has passed away. So, probably about six of the, the original people from, from the, the from the Midlands group. Because apparently there's another one down south as well, uh, we, we discovered. Um, so, yeah, we, we're not getting any younger. So, you, you need somebody with a bit more, um, I don't know, a bit more longevity, I, I would think, uh, to uh, it, probably some people with not a lot of baggage. And I don't use that. I use that word not that as baggage because obviously you've got children and that, and you know, and you don't want things to happen to your children because of what you've been involved with. But certainly at the moment, you you need people probably um, who might not be too bothered with things happening to them if they get involved in this. And obviously, it, they did opposing another force who I won't mention, you know. Um, so you need somebody a bit younger, well, probably a lot younger actually, to be able to uh, uh, do what they need to do, because it costs money to do this. Because we were traveling all over the place, you know, and obviously when we went down to the north abroad to get the IFI, um, that costs money. So it's, it's not a cheap thing to do. So did you, as a group, did you get told of what the future purpose of? of all of this would be so like you mentioned about is there another group sort of carrying it on but was there ever a sense that this was like an ongoing journey or it stopped with you guys or 
or that no, this had been going on since whenever. Yeah, Did I you... mean, we, we understood that this had been going on for about 5,000 years. Right. Uh, the, the thing, the, the, there were groups that manifested themselves and they were called the nine. They were, they were always, it was always the number nine. Because nine is, is, is quite prevalent in, in the occult fraternity anyway. Um, but we were always told that, yeah, there's groups manifesting. Also, the, there was the nine nice Templars. I've heard about the, well, obviously, you've heard of the nine Templars. And the court mm -hmm. of the nice Templars was supposed to be nine, nine nights. Okay. My own personal understanding that there was two conflicting um, groups within the nice Templars. There was one set who held the green stone, who were the nine, and there was another set who basically wanted the the stone for a darker purpose. Okay, and luckily they didn't get their hands on this, the the you know the darker side, uh, but the the uh, the stone that was held by. The initial nine of the Templars got passed down, and it, and it ended up in the hands of Mary Queen of Scots, who called it the Me and I Stone eventually. And yeah, as far as far as the uh, the eventuality was was going on, yeah, we were told certain things, um, but at the moment, I it certainly. Um, the group did, certainly didn't uh, achieve what I think it's supposed to have achieved because we splintered in the end. And as far as that, that that's really all I can tell you on that. So uh, I guess the question for me is, yeah. throughout this journey, obviously it's taking place on kind of a psychic level, a lot, a lot of this stuff. Yeah. Were you guys at physical risk of serious injury even death uh, from taking part in this, and do you know of people that have been killed doing these these, these quests? No, those, but there's always that chance because of some of the things that, that that we had to do. But as I said before, as far as we understood, we were protected by the powers that be on the other side, um, which I personally think we were. Uh, on on some of the things that we did because the book the book that I wrote is just a linear it's just a linear uh, trying to put all the events that not all the events but the, the events that I could that, that happened in a linear line so it's all it's all fitted together um, but there are other things that occurred which which were sort of things uh, that sort of like branches that from a tree they sort of suddenly sprouted in one direction and didn't end up anywhere and we don't know why you know. It just it's just these things happened. Um with no rhyme or reason to to a lot of degree, probably because we didn't understand it at the time. You know. So these artifacts, uh, the pictures of quite a few of them in the book. Where, where are they now? Like you got the sword and these stones. The me and I sword. Yeah. Uh the one that was originally found on the bridge. Um, from from the green stone from the green stone either uh, from the green stone book the original green stone book that is in in a place down south um, in a museum I'm trying to think of 
there's a name of the place. I can't remember. It. I can't think of it. I'll, I'll tell you. I'll, I'll send you some info when I, when I remember it. Um, but it's down south. Uh, Rivara's sword and the green stone and some other artifacts were sold by the daughter of uh, Mangana Sutherland, who's in the booth. Um, apparently, her, her and her husband decided that uh, they'd sell the things to make a bit of money. You know, which is uh, rather a silly thing to do. But there you go. Some disappeared. Yeah. All the other stones, apart from my stone, the purple stone, the green, uh, the, the chalice lies in a pool because I have to throw it, throw it in a pool. I know, I know where it is. Um, the blue stone has been hidden. The other stones. Those that were owned, uh, held by the Shotton family were destroyed because of the uh, what happened in nothing the last chapter of the Bane um, when they were psychically attacked by by this entity. So they destroyed everything that, that, that was connected that they had that was connected to uh, uh, to the Me and I group, um, and including the Orange Stone as well. Terry destroyed that because he was holding that. But basically, that they destroyed. A couple, a couple of things, um, a couple of stones are still extant. Like I say, I've got mine. And uh, the other stuff has been sold. So, I don't know. I mean, just the way of the world. Oh, yeah, for, for sure. Um, so, these, so going back to guessing the stones as well, how do you know that these are the, the stones, like the ones that like, may have been Scott's had? Um, I, I do know that these are the, the like the right ones. Okay, that's that's the question. Um, with the eye of fire and the the me and I stone, the green one, um, they know the history of that, um, mm -hmm. and they would end up in in, in Mary Queen of Scots hands. The the IFI though, the, the IFI, obviously that, that was an effort. You know, it was we opened the dimensional glory to, to get that. Five of the stones, which again is, is in one of the chapters, just appeared like flashes of light crossing whizzing across the sky, ended up in, in the pool in Teddy Shotton's garden. There's a little like a little well. They all ended up in there and they had to fur them out. So those those five I know are definitely part and parcel of of uh, um the me, the me and I saga. The original purple stone that appeared that was in the well that, that appeared in the well uh, uh, as well as well. Um, that was destroyed by one by the person who um, basically had taken that position on the tree of life, the purple sphere. He destroyed that, and the main reason being is that he wanted out of the group because it was unfortunately it, it was taking his toll on his mind. Fear, basically, from what he'd experienced. So he destroyed a stone. The purple stone I've got is a replacement of that particular stone, which, um, as far as I understand, um, manifested when Rain was in trance. He, he woke up and he was in his hands. But for me to obtain that, I didn't even realise at the time that, you know, there was another purple stone. And again, it's in the book about the purple stone and what I had to do to to basically to to achieve it, which I didn't even realize I was doing at the time anyway. Um, so 
most of the stones, as far as I understand, are all linked with the, are truly linked with the Mianaya saga. Um, mine, the purple stone, I, I believe is, because like I say, grain was in trance when it manifested in his hands. So uh, there's another stone actually, um, which appeared in the well at the time when the others, uh, the others came. And that was a, uh, a diamond shaped yellow stone. I can't remember what, what type of stone it was. Unfortunately, the chap who held that, uh, he, he actually moved down south to Torquay and he since died. So I have no idea what happened to that one. The black stone, which again was another one that appeared in the well, um, disappeared. It just disappeared one night from, from this, uh, the, the, the lady who held it. Um, it just disappeared from her jewelry collection, for want of a better word. And I think it disappeared twice, from what I understand. Um, but yeah, that, that's all I can tell you about the stones. Um, I hear that. So how big a part does religion play into the whole Mianaya saga? I missed that. I missed that, mate. I didn't do it quite properly. How how big of a part does religion play in in the whole Mianaya saga? None. Okay. None. Uh, because from from what I, from what I understood, the Mianaya was more of a mystical, more of a mystical thing. And I discovered with religion, there's, there's two there's two parts to it. There's the stuff that you get told by the priest and by, by the church hierarchy. But then there's the other side, which is the mystical side, like the the, the, the Christian saints. And there, there are some certain there are saints who have achieved high states of awareness just by following their, their, their creed, their love of this, this being called Jesus and, and the Christ. But essentially... What happens in the Christian uh, Christian mysticism and all the other types of mysticism is exactly is exactly the same. It's the same path that you take. It's just that if you follow that and don't listen to what they're telling you, the 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 other you know the the, the actual what I call the physical religion tell you, um, you won't get anywhere. You know, and that's why I think with the, with the me and I stuff, it's all to do with the mystical side of life. Yeah, that's fine. I was just only sort of mentioning that because obviously knights, Templar, yeah. and stuff like that is quite yeah. Christian. Um, yeah. Christian order, was hey, it? Listen, listen, I was born a Roman Catholic, you know. I, I, I was an altar boy. I did the catechism, you know, sang, sang in the choir. And then, irrespective of what happened to me when I was younger, you know, this astral projection thing, I still followed that, that particular route, uh, got confirmed and, and all that. But when I left school when I was 15 and began to study and, and, uh, do my own thing and I began to realize really how people have been duped you know because I said to you you know there's the outside teaching and there's, there's the mystical teaching you've got to follow the mystical teaching but that's where the answers lie or, or should I say the, not so much the answers but uh, the point of actually getting to where you want to be with the certain understandings you know, re regarding uh, what the ass was trying to tell you, because the out, the out religion is just for the masses, you know. And if I've learned anything, and I could tell, t say to people, that's basically it, you know. 
follow the mystical side of your religion. That's where the answers lie. How do you think, um, I mean, sort of bringing it up to some, some contemporary stuff, how do you think or do you know if the whole non-human intelligence that's being reported um, uh, and UAPs and UFOs from the, yeah. the congressional hearings, is that linked to your experiences through life? Everything is linked. Nothing is separate, my friend. Nothing is separate. That's what I learned from, from the me and I things as well. Nothing is separate. You're all con inter interconnected from different... You know, matter, matter isn't physical. Mm -hmm. Matter is just the end result of an energy airport of, of vibrational frequencies that go into, into well, the infinity, really, uh, or to the edge of infinity. And so, yeah, everything is interlinked, as Michael probably told you anyway. Um yeah. I mean, I, I, I studied, listen, I went through um, UFOs and cryptids when I was younger, you know. Um, I went through that and, re and I began to realise that there's more to the UFOs than Mr. I. I began to believe they were more paranormal than, than, than actual physical and more interdimensional than probably paranormal. Because paranormal is just a word that we use to try to explain something that we know, we know nothing about, really. You know, trying to explain, put it, fit it into our sort of physical terminology, but you can't do it. And so, yeah, everything, everything is interconnected. And if they tell you otherwise, you're bloody lying. So, have you been, or were you and and the group, I guess, met with much skepticism? Um, so, how well, much have you sort of told other people the, the story? Well, obviously, apart from the book. Um. There are people who don't believe it. There are people who think that, uh, you know, it never happened. Uh, one particular member of the group, who was an important member of the group, told her husband that that uh, things never happened. But I can tell you this, when I was there, the things that I witnessed bloody well happened. You know? I'm not, I, I, you know, they can't dupe me. In a, in a lot of respects, because if I'm there and I witness this stuff, because you, especially with the, take, take for instance, and I'll tell you what happened with the eye of fire when we were on the boat. When we went to get the eye of fire, we had, we, we had to, we came from a place called um, St. Benny's Abbey, because it was shaped like a bell. And we had to ring this bell to try and invoke the uh, the the eye of fire to manifest itself, because that's it, it, it should have been there. But, when we tried to park the, or the don't, is, is it not park, park the but you know, to uh, put the boat, to moor the boat, we couldn't because there was a fishing match on. And we had to go miles out of the way. And by the, by the time we managed to moor the boat and, and race across country to get to the tower, it was too late. We had to be there for a certain time. So we got back on the boat and to decide what it is that we had to do. So we thought, right, we, we'd have to basically just follow our intuition to where we think we have to go. So we jumped back on the boat and Terry was steering this boat uh, along um, along one of the rivers. My, by the way, Graham actually had to go and do something prior to that. Then he came back and then Terry jumped back on. And then we ended up 
Dan's wanted to, uh, Dan stretches this particular river. I can't even remember the name of it, uh, the name of it now. And it was absolutely chucking it down, absolutely batting down. The river, the river was bloody like this. It, you know, it was like, well, the waves of that point, I, I can't describe it, my friend. Honestly, it was it was awful. Then we would we we were coming down the river and we said we rang Marion up, uh, the psychic who was in Wales, and said, Can you give us a hint to where this thing might be? Uh what we might be hidden or where we have to go to. So she gave us this hint, what she could see psychically. And so in the distance we could see this 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 it's like a bank of trees, like a forest. So we got to this place and we got on the Ouija board to speak to, to an entity. Her name was Mary. She says, are we here? He says, yes, you've come to the right place, but you're on the wrong side. And this thing, I mean, the river, on a, on a Kenny, it was incredible the way this thing was. It was, I won't swear, but it was absolutely bouncing it down, you know, wind is howling. And so, so, so we had to turn the boat around, okay? And then we got back on the Ouija board, says, right, you're here, you're in the right place. And so you, you need to do what you need to do, which we did do. And then Graham said, ring the bell. So there was me, um, Gene, and um, a last call we, we called Boyd. Three of us were in the middle of the boat ringing this bell, right? As we rung this bell, I felt this incredible presence enter, enter into the boat. I thought, crime, what is this? And then it started, didn't it? The whirring, like that, this dynamo all around the boat. And then Graham said, said, right, me and you have got to go outside. So they, they jumped off the boat. And all of a sudden, this incredible light. Well, oh, I missed a bit out. In a split second, everything went quiet. No rain, no wind. Everything was flat calm. And Terry and Grain jumped out, and then this light suddenly flooded all around the boat. It was like somebody put a, uh, um, like a, what do they call light? Those, uh, well, a massive, and it just, it was just like, just like somebody switched on a, uh, like a floodlight. Uh, like a floodlight, yes, yes, that's the word I was doing. Massive floodlight, but it's incredible. And then I could see through a portable. This orange light suddenly manifests, getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And Graham was trying to get hold of this thing, and he fell on the floor. I couldn't see that. And all I could hear then was Graham going, ow, 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 this bloody thing's hot, he was saying. Right? And obviously, I thought to myself, it must be that when he passed through the, the different dimensions, obviously, it causes, you know, like a heat transfer or something. And that's why it was hot. Now, that, all I'm saying is that there's nothing on that day could have been planned or or put into place by somebody else. Couldn't have been. It, 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 was just, it was just a natural phenomenon that occurred. So people who were saying that it was all a coax or that, you ought to have been there on that night when that happened, apart from some of the other nights where, you know, a lot of other stuff happens. You know, you've got to be there to experience it. If never experience it, you won't understand it. Yeah, no, fair enough. So do you do you miss it? Do you miss the that part of your life? Um, in some respects, yes. Obviously, the 
when you witness that type of phenomena, it's like a drug. <laughs> and you know, you must know if you, if you go and go something like you, you you want to experience stuff. But when you experience stuff that's so far out there, you know, you you want to experience more. Um, but we were always told by by the uh, I want to call them the spirits, the, the entities, whatever, is that. It's only there to teach you. You know, it's only it's there for a reason. But don't don't treat it as if it's a religion, you know. And so don't 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 use these artifacts as if they are some sort of magical talisman, you know, because you you're not actually seeing them for what they truly are. Yeah, no, that's uh, totally, totally fair enough. Mm. Uh, before we, I thought there was anything that you want to add, anything we've not covered that you wanted to to mention to our listeners. Well, all I can say to them is is uh, if you understand that there's more to this reality than you never realise, and there's more to you as a human being, and there's something far far greater than this physical thing that that, that you're feeling. As long as you understand that and try to touch what you truly are, then that's really what you're here for, is to become what you truly are. And also this reality, you look through the door or through the window and you walk through this, you look around you and think it's real. It's not. It's not real. That's all I can say to you. You have to experience it for yourself, though. Well, that's a, a great message. It's, um, I think, obviously, I mean, for us guys, we're obviously not quite on, on that level of the Mia Mia. Yeah. People listen to this. Hey, you kind of talk very well. But, 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 but apart from that, he's nuts. Not yeah. at all. <laughs> so, kind of close off Mia Mia. Me or Naya? Me or Naya? Actually, right, me, me, oh, Naya. But don't know what he might, at the end of the day, mate, it's, it's, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter, Ash. <laughs> I'm leaving these bits in. <laughs> you will as well, I know you will. <laughs> so, your book, The Chronicles of Me and Naya. Yeah. Where, where can our listeners find this? On Amazon. Is it under me? It's also you can get it on Kindle as well. Great, yeah. So, so you're searching for the chronicles of me and I, M E O N I A, is the way to spell that. Um, yeah, no, thank you very much. Finally, yeah, name will talk but it is a true story, and irrespective of what some people might say, you know, I mean, we but it bloody well isn't. Yeah, I mean, we, we've spoken to many people whose accounts and experiences have been out of the ordinary. And mm. to the to the normal layperson listening, the stories sound fantastical uh, and almost unbelievable. But like we've we've said on previous podcasts, um, 
we weren't there we didn't experience it so how are we in any position to say that these things didn't happen exactly exactly and it is up to the individual themselves to attain that sort of knowledge to be able to to experience that themselves but it's up to them um you know nobody can force you uh if if, if it is that your life path doesn't take you along that route all well but obviously mine did you know awesome so that's the chronicles of me and i on amazon is that right that time? yeah on amazon, it was yeah. question myself every time about to say it yeah um and throughout the interview uh you've been sat next to mike who is your son-in-law and a friend of ours been on the show previously and while you're here mike you've got your own news recently do you want to plug your book that you just released yeah <laughs> it's good buy it if <laughs> <laughs> you want to tell uh, us yeah. a bit about it so yeah it's um ape men aping men uh it's a beginner's guide to bigfooting and the online community that sit around bigfoot um ups and downs pros and cons uh, it's a little bit tongue in cheek in places. It's it's all honest. It comes from a place of of love. Um, it's never never derisory. Um, it, it's aimed at beginners and veterans as well. I, but the main crux of the message is the importance of impartiality, and and the the, the importance of understanding that what we are interpreting the evidence as is opinion it's not fact we don't have any conclusive evidence proof call it what you will and it's so very easy to forget about that and everyone parades things around like we know this for certain um it's called ape men ape and men because i don't like using the word hominid because it has a specific scientific meaning and whilst i do believe that that's probably the most likely reason for these things if they are real we still don't know that for sure so I call for the use of the word simioid, which just means like an ape. Yeah, that's basically it. Awesome. So that's Ape Men, Aping Men, available on Amazon, as is Chronicles of Me and Aya by Joe LaRosa. Uh, thank you well, both. Thank, thank you, Joe. Thank you very much. It's just happy on the book, but I have to do for a reason. But there you go. Yeah, so Chronicles of Me and Aya by Giuseppe LaRosa. Find that on Amazon. We'll also put links to the Amazon pages in the show notes and on our websites. You can link to there and buy it. And it's a fascinating story. It's, I mean, like I say, you have to, I mean, I, at the start, when I first started reading it, I was just like, there's no way that this can be real. But as you read it and you hear more of the story and the people that were involved and sort of their stories, then it's the whole backstory that you can go and find out in other books and Right, websites yeah. and stuff it's all yeah. it's all on there um so yeah make sure you pick that up and have a read and yes thank you joe for finally getting to the chance to chat to you and for what i was going to say tonight. to you uh ashes you need to speak to graham phillips hmm. you need to get out of graham or i can try and get out of graham for you um because he's also written i had another book called uh strange fate where he the basically had another manifestation of an object him and, and this other person who was with um but yeah that's an interesting book in itself um 
just to tie in with with the me and I thing. Well, you find it interesting anyway. Yeah, no, definitely. The whole book's fascinating. It's just. Yeah, it's hard to explain. Is I was trying, well, I was trying to think of an intro to this episode. I was like, I don't even know how to introduce yeah. this book. It's, it is incredible. Um, so yeah, there's, so go and buy it. There's nothing, for my mind, and also the people I spoke to. There's nothing else like that out there uh, in that particular field, apart from the books written by, you know, to do with the me and I stuff bit, bit, uh, before I wrote mine. Um, well, yeah, well, I'm glad you enjoyed it anyway, my friend. Oh, yeah, definitely. Thanks for, um, like I say, about a year ago when I finished reading it, I have reread parts and obviously in preparation for tonight. Uh, but yeah, thanks for coming on. It's been, uh, it's been a pleasure chatting to you. Thank yeah. you. Thank you both. All right, All right folks. Cheers. Bye-bye, mate. Bye. Pursuit of the Paranormal with Ash and Greg.